Welcome to the High Fidelity Podcast. I am your host, Bridget Connery, coming to you from the dialed studio at Hula on the shores of beautiful Lake Champlain in Burlington, Vermont. Today, we are speaking with Sam Bellavance, founder and executive director of Sunset Lake CBD and Sunset Lake Cannabis, located in South Hero, Vermont. Sunset Lake has its roots in a multi-generational dairy farm that produces milk and cream for Ben & Jerry's ice cream and is a long-standing member of their Caring Dairy program. Sam has set an example of how an established dairy farm can successfully diversify into hemp and then make the leap into cannabis. He definitely learned some lessons along the way, which he is happy to share. So pull up a chair and stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back. In this episode, we share our conversation with Sam Bellavance, the founder and executive director of Sunset Lake CBD and Sunset Lake Cannabis. Sam is a lifelong farmer and resident of the Green Mountain State. He began growing industrial hemp back in 2018 as a way to diversify crops on his family's dairy farm. The following year, he pivoted to growing hemp as a CBD crop, and Sunset Lake CBD was born. Last year, he and his team expanded operations to enter the adult-use cannabis market as a Tier 4 outdoor cultivation license. Sam and I discussed a variety of topics, including how Sunset Lake's commitment to the triple bottom line of people, planet, and prosperity has been a critical factor in their success so far. We touch upon the lessons they have learned in the hemp industry and how mission-driven work and climate resiliency are top of mind as they plan and invest in the future. Let's hear what he had to say. Sam, welcome to the show. Happy to be here. Awesome. Well, let's dive right in and talk a little bit about the origin story of Sunset Lake CBD. Sure, sure. So, yeah, just to go back in time a little bit, it was 2018, and I was working on my family's dairy farm. I had recently graduated college. I had worked uh, some office jobs and was just wanted to kind of get back to my roots in agriculture. So I was working at the dairy farm. And a big part of that was as a uh, caring dairy member, my family sells milk. Uh, at the time, it was a St. Albans co-op. Now it's DFA, and then that goes to Ben & Jerry's Ice Cream. Ben & Jerry's has a really unique program where dairy farmers can get incentivized to make their farm more sustainable, having workplace condition requirements, all that stuff. So I was helping out, and one of the requirements for that year's caring dairy program was farm biodiversity. So how do we get farmers to plant more crops mm. so we're not just doing corn and hay and just those two things? Yep. So one of the suggestions was, what about hemp? And from there, I had gone to a conference. It was the UVM Extension School did a, a hemp conference. I learned about it, and I was like, you know what? Maybe I could try hemp. And worst case scenario... We get to diversify the farmland a little bit. You know, that'll help with the Caring Dairy program. And, you know, we'll, we'll just take it from there. So grew hemp originally. And that first year, we grew 10 acres for grain, which is something that's not really a market in Vermont right now. Yeah. Now, when you say for grain, you mean for fiber? 
No. I mean, no, <laughs> or no. for seed? Yeah. I, I, have, I don't really think about it as being a grain yeah, crop. Yeah, it's exactly. It's like the, the facet of hemp that no one ever thinks about. So it's for like hemp seed meal, like gotcha. hemp protein powder. Yes. I'm sure you've probably seen that in the grocery store. Yeah. So planted it, grew it, had no idea how to harvest it. I broke a combine of a neighbor. We were unable Ooh. to harvest it. <laughs> The person who was going to buy it didn't buy it, and the the money that I had put into it, I didn't get it back. So what year was that? That was 2018. That was 2018. So okay. epic fail, first yeah. year <laughs> in, in hemp. But it did make me kind of fall in love with this plant. Hmm. I really liked working with it. I liked doing agriculture where, you know, if you're doing dairy farming, if you're doing corn or soy, you have decades of research from the USDA or these things are so dialed in yes. some of the largest corporations in the world it was kind of cool to be doing something where oh we're doing the innovative work mm-hmm. you know we're the first ones to be figuring out how does this work and what we kind of learned was okay grain there's not a great market for it but CBD there is yeah so in 2019 went back at it and started growing hemp for CBD got it and so We talked about this, but I read this really great article (laughs) that came out last July, I think, about your cooperation with uh, UVM Extension. And they've been doing quite a bit of work in terms of research into hemp agriculture here in the state. And so did that start in 2019? Or were they with you from the beginning? And how did they help you along the way? Yeah, they were there from the beginning. Like I said, it was really that conference yeah. in 2018 was huge. Definitely a special shout out to Heather Darby and the whole plant and soil science yeah. team. They've they've been with us from the whole get-go because for them it's new too. Yes. So really it's we have a really synergistic relationship with them where they can give us advice, hey, here's what we're seeing, maybe add this nutrient, maybe so to give you like a really concrete example. Yeah, I'd love that. So our first year of doing hemp for CBD, 2019, we had these massive plants because we we put them in the ground like a month earlier than you really have to. Mm-hmm. And I just started notice around July, they all started to get a little sad around July 4th. And then I started having plants, the top of them die. And then I would also notice plants splitting in half. Hmm. And what we learned was there is a moth, it's called the corn borer that affects corn in the United States. That moth originally was the hemp borer. Interesting. It loves, it basically is a little moth that lays its eggs, the larva punch into the stalk of the hemp, and they hollow it from the inside out, and the plant dies and splits in half. Oh, wow. But that was something we didn't know to look out for the hemp borer because hemp hasn't really been planted in this environment for so long. And it was probably controlled on the corn side. Exactly, (laughs) exactly. So it's controlled on that side. So- you know, working, Heather was able to help get me these traps um, mm. to, you know, help catch them. And then what we started doing, and this was working with the extension school and then also with this company, Airbico Organics, is getting uh, these beneficial wasps that go after the moths. Right. So they attack the larvae, so you don't have to use any pesticides, but you can also control their population. Cool. And so 2019 was your first CBD crop. You had some issues, but I'm imagining that you had some success that year too that encouraged you (laughs) to keep going? I mean, I know that's been one of the big topics of conversation here in the state, as it has been in other states with hemp, is that a lot of people got excited. It was going to be the green rush. It was going to be another great kind of consistent stream of revenue. And that's not 
how it turned out for a lot of people, but you've managed to succeed. And so why do you think that is? Yeah. So what happened in 2019? So our first year we harvested, we had like 10,000 pounds of CBD biomass. And all leading up to it, people have been saying, it'll be 100 bucks a pound, it'll be 50 bucks a pound. And we we're like, okay, well, you know, worst case scenario, it'll be 25 bucks a pound. Mm-hmm. We'll sell it. That'll cover all the costs. I'll cover the harvest labor, everything. It got to harvest season. People weren't even willing to pay $2 a pound. Wow. The market had completely collapsed from oversupply. So then it was really a, and that was what a lot of farmers were banking on was that big wholesale sale at the end of the year of the raw product. And what we said is, okay, instead of giving up, let's double down, let's pool our own money in, pay for it to get extracted and create our own CBD products. So we created our own brand basically out of necessity, frankly, right. um, and then it one thing led into another. Right. So you went into value-added products, which yeah. is what a lot of dairies have had to do in order to succeed, too. And so where did you start? I mean, you have a pretty big product line yeah. <laughs> right now, you know, <laughs> which is challenging in itself. So all of your products right now are fed through the biomass that you're growing on your own farm. And now you are... Or were you always, you were subbing that extraction out or doing it yourself in the beginning? Uh, We still have someone else do the extraction. That's just something we're not really set up for. You know, you get into bulk extraction. We were talking about thousands of pounds. You really need quite a bit of heavy equipment. And there's only a couple of companies in Vermont that can do that. For us, really it started with doing the hemp flour. And that was selling... Basically, the jars of, of hemp flour, and for folks who don't know, you know, the strains of hemp we're dealing with, uh, they primarily come from a company called Oregon CBD, and the flour from it looks very similar to what you get in a dispensary, THC flour, just right. in terms of, it's chemically very different, but, you know, it looks similar, and so we started jarring that up, making pre-rolls with it, and it was basically for customers who wanted, you know, that relaxing experience of enjoying cannabis, but without getting very intoxicated. So we kind of started with the flour and then did the first extraction, got into doing tinctures, salves. And then I got crazy with it. I started having too much fun. We started making (laughs) CBD coffee and then we're doing lotion. We are at a point now where we're like, okay, where are we going with all these products? Exactly. Because products are expensive to bring to market. You know, I mean, that's one thing that we... Learned both on the CBD side and the medical cannabis side was that it's it takes a lot of resources to stock and inventory products and get them to market. And so I was curious to kind of understand as you're moving forward, like, what have you learned there? Like, and are you going to continue to expand your product line or are you going to look to maybe focus on the ones that are the most profitable and go from there? Because you... I didn't want to jump to this like right away. (laughs) We can come back. But you are transitioning to the THC market, which is going to take up some of your focus and resources. And so where are you headed with the CBD market? Yeah. So I think for us, you know, with CBD, I don't think the market's really going anywhere. You know, it is just it's a tool that helps people, you know, with sleep, with anxiety, you know, and it's something that some of these core products, especially the oils, the gummies, the topicals, there's just a really strong base there, and those aren't going anywhere. Mm-hmm. As far as the product line, really what we're, we've are we talked a lot about is tweaking just to keep up with the market. Mm-hmm. So 
there's been quite a bit of movement. So f- for a clear example, like on topicals, topicals have become more and more potent. So yeah. people want higher concentrations. So th- something you know that we've talked about is, okay, maybe you drop that lower strength product and you add in a new higher strength product. So you're kind of inching everything upwards, right. you know, but still still kind of preserving that lineup, you know, because having a spectrum is good because everyone's body is different, you know, and mm-hmm. not everyone wants the same amount of CBD. So it kind of gives people that choice. Yeah. We found, too, that, as you said, everybody's different. And when somebody finds a product or a brand that works for them, they kind of stick with that brand. So it makes sense to want to offer your customers the different methods of consumption. So recently we talked about the fact on this podcast that the uh, hemp program, which has been under the Department of Agriculture up until now, is going to be moving over to the CCB, the Cannabis Control Board. And with that, there are going to be some changes in who's regulating what. And so my understanding is, is that when this transition happens this year, that the CCB is actually not going to pick up the cultivation regulation, and they're going to hand that over to the USDA. But they will continue to regulate the products, and they're going to put in some new rules about what's going to be allowed and what isn't. And I think there's going to be some big changes there for some producers in this state. How are these changes potentially going to affect Sunset Lake? Yeah, so, I mean, on the cultivation side, I don't think it's going to change things too much. Uh, You know, we've got a pretty good working relationship with the USDA and the FSA. And, you know, really, they just want to make sure you're growing hemp, they can Mm -hmm. check in on things. You know, what they don't want is producers, you know, having, let's say you have like an adult use cultivation license in Mm -hmm. Vermont, they don't want you intermingling your field with both of those. Um, So, you know, keep your hemp plots and your THC plots, keep those separate, separate jurisdictions. So it's, Pretty common sense, and I, I think that's something we'll be able to to manage. I mean, you've already got a relationship with them, sure. which is great. They've been on your property. I would think that, that one of the big concerns was something that we were running into all the time as a retailer was really hard to find flour that was under 1%. Mm. And Vermont allowed that 1% THC level for a few years, <laughs> mm-hmm. but they're not going to be able to do that now. And so your finished product as a flower is meeting that that 0.3% threshold that the USDA sets for Delta 9 THC? Or yeah. they allow you to have it for a certain point as long as it's going to extract? How does that all work? Uh, it's based off of a pre-harvest test. Gotcha. That's what it's based off of. Um, so it, again, like you said earlier, like finished products, that's something the USDA isn't really actively monitoring. Right. The FDA might at some point. Mm-hmm. It's not, not something I want to speak on too much just because I yes. don't know. <laughs> right. I, like I'm... <laughs> I can't really key you into FDA. I know that they're looking at CBD market, so there might be some federal updates there. But yeah. They're basically right now going after people who are making label claims, I think, for the most part. Yeah, that's most of, yeah. you know, when I've seen like a CBD company get in trouble, it's them making claims where it's like this, you know, this product will help with this specific cancer, right. like really pretty irresponsible claims that you right. know, we wouldn't make. and. You know, the other great Vermont CBD companies, you know, and like, you know, Sunsoil, Elmore Mount Therapeutic, like responsible companies aren't making those claims. Right. And so they're not getting fines exactly. from the FDA. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, you know, on that side. And then on the CCB side, like, yeah, they're, they're coming up with rules. But I also think they're pretty open to getting feedback from producers. I don't I don't think there's a strong appetite to, like, disrupt a really healthy little industry in Vermont. Right. You know, I think one thing that's 
been concerning to me was just there was a lot of press about the failure of hemp. Mm -hmm. And I think that it really is how you look at it. If you look at it like, oh, this was supposed to be a $10 billion industry that made every farmer in Vermont rich, you know, beyond their belief. Right. Well, then, yes, it's a failure by that benchmark. Right. But you have to look around and say, you've got all these niche little companies, Loose Farm, you know, Vermont Pure CBD, Sun Soil, Elmore Mountain. And like, again, I don't view them as my competitors. I view them as collaborators Mm -hmm. because, frankly, for all of us, most of our sales are out of Vermont anyways. Right. And, you know, I think those are big success stories. Me too. And that's a lot of employees. That's a lot of money coming into the state. Yes. Um, we, We don't get near, like, what subsidies do we get? None. Compared to the other, you know, <laughs> do, do we get any? I don't think. I mean, I know cannabis doesn't. Yeah, Does hemp. <laughs> I mean, again, it might change now with yeah. the new farm bill, and but it's it's not at the same scale of other agriculture. Um, so I think you know the folks you know, at the CCB, and you know, again, I knew Carrie from when he was working at the Ag program. Mm-hmm. You know, I think they want to obviously like protect consumer safety and everything, but they you know don't want to completely overturn the apple cart. Right. Because um, we had a lot of good rules at the agency of ag on testing, on labeling, on and I think a lot of those will be carried over. Right. So So when you talk about these other C B D companies as collaborators, I'm just curious, is there a an organization, any kind of trade organization for hemp growers right now in the state that are actively working to to lobby for shared interests uh, or even a group that comes together to just share knowledge so that you actually can learn together and kind of lift all boats? Uh, I'm working on it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know associations yeah. are, are hard yeah. to manage. Sure. <laughs> you know, it's always a good idea, but sure. it requires work. Yeah. <laughs> right now, it's very informal where we'll kind of, you know, we've got each other's numbers, a call X, Y, or Z, like, hey, what do you think about this? Have you seen this? Um but no, there isn't a formal association. Um, you know, I myself, you know, want to advocate for, you know, good hemp policy. And I feel pretty strongly. The thing is, most of our business models are pretty similar. Mm-hmm. So, like, something that helps me will probably also help all these other companies. And right. something that helps them will help us as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's more of an informal thing. An association would be nice, yeah. but there's only so many hours in the day. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what that's to tell true. you. That's <laughs> true. I guess the other thing that you said brought up another interesting point for me and what I would like to see more of, both on the the hemp side uh, and also as we develop this new market on the cannabis side, is like what kind of data do we have from the state that actually speaks to those important numbers of like how many people are employed in this industry and and what are the going rates for products and things like that. Because I think that's, you know, again, like that's important data that all these other agricultural sectors get every year and they can plan and strategy around those. Do we really have those numbers? On the hemp side, I know we're just starting to get a trickling of information from the CCB because it's all new and they're trying to get their systems in place. But what about on the hemp side? Uh, On the hemp side, we should have it relatively soon. Um, I worked really closely with Stephanie Smith at the Agency of Ag on developing like a market survey because previously there was a hemp survey you had to take to maintain your license, but it really was how many acres are you growing, how many pounds did you harvest, and it kind of started and stopped there. You know, but I really want to get into more. Okay, what percentage of your sales are outside of Vermont? 
What kind of products are you selling? How many people do you employ? Those are the numbers that really should guide, you know, legislature on these topics. Definitely. You know, when we talk about these things, you know, you're talking about people's jobs and you're talking about like the economic impact. And yeah. one thing my dad always told me about farming, you know, and the importance of farming in Vermont, it's not just the people that the farms employ. It's the fact that the farms are hiring the local excavation company to help do something. They're hiring an electrician to do this. They're, you know, maybe donating money to local sports teams. There's all these little economies in rural Vermont that kind of revolve around these farms. And that's why I think preserving them is really important to yeah. the future. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I I look at this emerging cannabis space right now. I mean, we have, last I checked, 349 licensed new businesses. Where else do we see that right yeah. now in the state, you know? And it would be really great to understand how many people are they employing? What are the wages? You know, all of those things. And so hopefully we'll get there. And so you are adding Sunset Lake Cannabis and getting flour to market right now. I've been there before. I've been in a place where we had to manage both a CBD business and a THC business. And again, due to federal prohibition and federal law, there's a lot of differences there. It really is kind of running two separate companies, even though you're, we're working with the same plant. That's just the legal definition. And so what were some of the challenges of making that jump? And, you know, how did your time in the CBD market prepare you for this new business? Yeah, I mean, it is quite literally running two separate businesses. Yeah. Like, it, it is two separate businesses. And people in the state that are doing the same thing, because I'm also, I'm not the only one who's yep. from hemp getting into trying to diversify with the additional business. I think it was helpful to have a foundation of Okay, here I know what it looks like from when planting the seeds in May to having a finished product on a shelf around the holiday season. Right. And I know what it looks like every step of the way in between. So for me, certain things like looking for packaging, you know, I was able to, oh, cool, I already know a bunch of packaging suppliers. So I kind of had that frame of reference, and I think that was very helpful but I think the difference is, you know, the requirements. You know, there's a lot more legal standards you have to meet. You know, and again, like the packaging, you have the child resistance. Mm -hmm. You have the, you know, no single-use plastic. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there is like that extra layer. So I wouldn't say, oh, it was an easy thing to add on. But some of my experience did help for sure. Right. So were you able to source packaging from the same vendor that you're working on the CBD side or did you have to find somebody new because of that no plastics situation and even like banking I mean I noticed from that article I read that you were working with Mascoma I don't think they've entered this THC market at least the last time I had talked to them they weren't has that changed or did you have to like establish a new banking relationship too yeah so I think you know for anything I'd say I always like to work with who I'm familiar with. So for packaging, if our existing supplier can help us meet those requirements, great. And sometimes we can push them in a direction to maybe offer a product that meets those standards. But sometimes they can't, and then you find someone new. With banking, we were able to end up working with Vermont Federal Credit Union. Yeah. Um, but I do think, I know Mascoma is wanting to enter the cannabis space at some point. Right. And I think with that, you know, the more competition, the better. You know, and I think... Ultimately, as this industry gets more developed, you know, both in Vermont and nationwide, 
I have a hard time believing cannabis banking will be more difficult 10 years from now than it is today. I think it probably will get easier and easier, but maybe I'm an optimist. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I'm an optimist too, and uh, I've been pulling for that safe banking act yeah. for many years now. We can't get it, but I think we have to. I think there's too much momentum now pushing us in that direction where the federal government is just going to have to make that change. And again, it's because there are so many people who are working in this industry who need to have access to normal banking systems and lines of credit and all of that. So so we'll see. And so you're growing outdoors on the THC side as well? Correct. And so earlier you were talking about you know, how the USDA was concerned about hemp and THC products being in separate like jurisdictions and keeping them separate. Do you have any concerns about just cross pollination, or are you like are they really like your cannabis and your hemp are far away from each other? Like, what is the concern for a hemp farmer there? Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, if we're doing our homework, we shouldn't have to worry about cross pollination because right. there shouldn't be any males in that right. field, right. Um, whether it's the CBD hemp or the THC side. And that kind of gets into something you talked about earlier with you know, did this prepare you? The idea of like mail checking the field was something that we had experience with, mm-hmm. you know, and that was something we always knew. Okay, come August, you know, put your hiking shoes on. We're going to get a lot of miles walking <laughs> up and down those rows. So that was something we were able to take that knowledge and then apply that to the, the adult use side uh, with those plants. As far as pollination from other I am a little concerned about that. Yeah. Um, I mean, the latent amount of cannabis pollen in the air, whether it's hemp or whether it's adult-use cannabis, whether it's going legally, whether it's an illegal grow out in the woods, yeah. just the amount of pollen that's in the air. Because keep in mind, this pollen can travel dozens of miles. That is – I don't have the data on it. I have to imagine there's probably more cannabis pollen in the air now than there was 20 years ago. Yeah. So that's something I'm a little bit concerned about. At the same time, it's we haven't had any instances of like a neighbor's field pollinating ours. And as the genetic research develops, you know, you're getting plants that are more resistant to being pollinated. So, yeah, some of it's just outside of your control. Yeah. So what about the genetics that you're growing. I imagine that there was a learning curve there too, you know, those first few years of growing hemp, just learning how those genetics and those plants adapt to the Vermont ecosystem. Did you choose certain plants on the cannabis side for this new market that kind of met the skill set that you had already kind of developed with similar genetics? Or how did you decide what you were going to grow you know, uh, for the cannabis market? You throw spaghetti at a wall, you <laughs> see what sticks. I, I don't know. You know, again, you can choose things and, you know, some of them work out great and some of them don't. Yeah. I think that's also why having genetic diversity in the field is really, really important. Yeah. Um, we start everything from seed. I know a lot of folks clone. Yeah. Um, I don't have any problem with cloning. It's just we don't do it. We yeah. start stuff with seeds. And, you know, I want to have usually at least like 10 different cultivars out there Mm -hmm. um, because some won't thrive. Right. And you'll learn. And so to give you a a concrete example, two years ago, we grew CBG. This was a hemp flower. Particularly, the variety was developed so you could extract CBG oil out of it. Right. It's another cannabinoid. We learned that these genetics were basically developed in the very arid Southwest. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they 
just completely got obliterated by powdery mildew oh, yeah. in the Northeast, whether it was grown in Maine or New Hampshire or Vermont. So as far as when I'm looking for genetics, whether it's hemp or you know THC cannabis, I'm looking for stuff that can handle the climate, can handle some moisture. Right. It's wet here. Definitely. It's not California. It's yeah. not Colorado. Yeah. So you need to look for that. Yeah. And we're, I mean, based on the models, we're only going to get wetter. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so lots of learning always. You know, we're dealing with a plant outdoors. It's got to adapt to the environment. So one of the things that I'm impressed by with Sunset Lake CBD is your commitment to the environment. And you're also a member of VBSR, which is uh, the Vermont Businesses for Social Responsibility, uh, which focuses on the triple bottom line. And so from the research that I've done, uh, Sunset Lake has always been committed to providing livable wage, to uh, protecting the environment in your business processes, and to being profitable because, you know, you have to be profitable in order to give back. And so what are some of the ways that Sunset Lake does that? Uh, and how are you carrying forward some of that history that you have into this this new marketplace and with building a staff and deciding where you're going to invest? Yeah. So, I mean, to like touch on a couple of those, I mean, for us, you know, having a team that's really motivated and really feels invested is very important to us. You know, I want people who show up and, you know, a lot of tasks, whether they are farm work, whether they are, you know, putting gummies in a jar, let, let's be really honest, they're repetitive tasks yep. and they're not super exciting. Mm -mm. But that's when I think as a, you know, leader and as a company, you need to have some purpose because something, you know, you can, there's a really good analogy where, you know, there's these three people building a church and, you know, they ask the first guy, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm just... I'm chipping away at one of these stones. Yeah, so second go, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm just taking this stone and I'm, you know, putting it up, help building the wall. That's the third guy. And he's like, I'm building a cathedral. And that's really that all of these little tasks, you know, you might be weed whacking around plants. You can view that as, yes, I'm weed whacking around plants. It's hot. It's not great. You can also say, I'm weed whacking around plants because we don't use herbicides mm -hmm. to kill the weeds, and that's really important to us, and we're doing it the hard way because we care about the land. Right. So it's really, I think, having that mindset and, you know, not only for leaders but also for everyone at the company, and I think that's something where I feel like I have a responsibility to my staff to explain why we're doing certain things. Mm -hmm. Why are we, you know, why are we doing it? maybe the more difficult way and, you know, kind of going over that whole whole process. And with VBSR, I think it's a great fit because I do think sustainability is going to be something that I don't think it's going to be optional oh, yeah. <laughs> in my lifetime. I think totally. it's going to be something you're going to have to be. And we've seen at the farm, I mean, these windstorms, you know, for any listeners in Vermont, they've really beaten the heck out of a farm, mm -hmm. you know, whether it's trying to keep the greenhouses up or you know, even the plants getting knocked over and you have to stake them up. Uh, so that's something where, like, being a farmer, things like climate change are really front and center in your mind because you see the results and you have to pay the price yeah. when, when those things happen. So we're going to wrap it up here pretty quick. We're coming up against time. What does your team look like now? Um, and how do you see it expanding as your business grows? And I'm just curious, like, where are you going to be investing this year to kind of drive the most growth for your two companies? <laughs> sure, sure. 
Uh, yeah. So, you know, right now we've got seven full-time staff and like two part-time staff. Uh, we do have seasonal people that come on for the harvest season as well. Usually that's six or seven folks, you know, and I think for us, we want to be really smart with hiring. You know, that's something where I want to make sure if I'm offering someone, you know, a year-long full-time job that there is that work. And a lot of it is as these regulations are getting figured out at the state level and the federal level, there is a little bit of uncertainty. And I think that'll be one great thing. Once these rules kind of get a little more codified, we'll have some more certainty to grow there. As far as what we're investing in, I'd say, frankly, like climate resiliency. Mm -hmm. At the farm, we're looking at, okay, some of our greenhouses, do we need to reinforce them? You know, that Concrete is not cheap. Um, yeah. So, you know, do we need to reinforce some of these greenhouses? Do we need to put up a storage building uh, rather than storing in one of the greenhouses? Um, so that's something we're investing really heavily in is just making the farm a little bit more robust. Right. Because, again, I, I, I hate to harp on it too much, but it just happened. But <laughs> these, <laughs> these windstorms, I mean, you get a 75-mile-an-hour gust and it's 50 degrees out in January. And it's just this is something that Vermont agriculture is not really set up to deal with. Right. And so that's where we'll be investing this year. Great. Anything that we missed that you want to mention about your company before we say goodbye or maybe how people can get in touch with you or find um, Sunset Lake CBD online? Sure. Uh, so, yeah, it's sunsetlakecbd.com. Uh, you can check us out there. Uh, the Cannabis Company also has a website, sunsetlakecannabis.com. You know, you can order our CBD products online. Uh, the Cannabis products, go to your favorite dispensary. <laughs> uh, we can't order those online. No. Uh, but the... Not out of state, anyway. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, you can check us out there. Uh, we're on social media as well. And, yeah, feel free to reach out, too. I'm very transparent and open. Again, if there's other people that are wanting to get into CBD or cannabis and they need help with starting their business or want some advice, I'll help. You know, I'm not very secretive over most stuff. And a lot of people helped me get yeah. started. So I kind of want to pay it forward. That's great. Awesome. Well, thanks for that. And I would encourage people to do that because you are definitely a great resource. And we'll put all the contact information in the show notes. So, Sam, thanks so much for being here today and sharing a little bit about what you've been doing at Sunset Lake CVD. And we'll be checking in with you later to find out how it's going and what's ahead. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Bye-bye. That'll do it for this episode. Thanks go out to my creative crew at High Fidelity, Olaf Willoughby and Shane Lynn, and to the team at Syntax in Motion for producing this show. A special shout out to Will Davis, my sound engineer. Thanks to you for listening to us today. If you enjoy what you heard, subscribe on our website, hi5vt.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Better yet, like, share, rate, or leave a comment. You can request topics or interviews for our show by emailing us at bewell at We'd love to hear from you. Until then, be well and have fun out there. <laughs>